absolutely sensational. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and this is the 2019 U.S. Open preview. So in this episode, it's going to be a two-setter because uh, there isn't a whole lot to talk about uh, beyond really, you know, the U.S. Open, uh, the storylines, the the dark horse picks, and, you know, the ultimately the picks uh, that I think could play out for the titles. Um, my, uh, two previous co-hosts, Michael and Eric, uh, they could not be here. They wanted to, but, uh, one is going on vacation and one is very busy with work. But what they did do is, uh, put in some notes because they wanted to have some input on, you know, this year's final grand slam. So they do have picks for the, uh, the dark horse picks and they have their picks for, uh, the draw. But of course, as always, we're going to start out with set one, which is the news. And the news is, again, uh, pretty short. I mean, there really isn't a lot to talk about. There have been a few uh, updates uh, since we last recorded, unless I last recorded. And that is on the ATP side, Kevin Anderson has pulled out of the US Open with a knee injury. And, and this is just more, you know, bad luck for the big fella, really. Um it, it's been tough sledding for this guy. I mean, ever since he made it to the final of Wimbledon last year, he has been unable to stay healthy. It seems like it's just one injury after another, uh, after another, and this is no exception. Uh, it's a knee injury, and you know he's played so little this year. He's, he's barely been on the tennis court. Uh, and if he is on the tennis court, he's on for one or two tournaments, if that. And then he's he's out again, and I, so I don't know if this is just a, a product of the fact that uh, Anderson is in his thirties now, and the wear and tear on his body, uh, and he's carrying a, you know a lot more weight than a player who you know is maybe six, seven, eight inches shorter. It's difficult, uh, or it could just be a rash of injuries that hopefully he'll overcome and be back next year because it looks like based on what I've read that he is not going to be playing for the rest of the season, which really is uh, a good decision on his part because what's the point you know, here in the back end of the season? You aren't vying for Grand Slam titles. You're not going to make it to the uh, World Tour Finals at the end of the year. Uh, the best you can hope for is to play in a couple of Master Series titles at the end of the year and see if you can maybe gain some momentum going into next season. But, but the fact is, I really don't think it's worth it for Anderson to do anything more than simply, you know, rehab his knee, if that's all that's required, uh, and then just work on getting ready, getting in shape, and come out strong in Australia. That's what he needs to do. It's kind of similar to what Andy Murray is more or less going to be doing as well. You know, there's no point in in taxing your body more then it's already been taxed. And even though Anderson hasn't played much this year, the fact is he's been injured. And that alone is taxing on your body. You're constantly, you know, rehabbing your injury. Um, you're trying to stay in shape as, as much as you can, uh, if that's even possible. Um, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult. And so when people are out with injury, they're not just sitting around watching movies all the time. Maybe they are, but, you know, they're not just kicking back and, relaxing uh, and doing nothing. Um, they are rehabbing. They're trying to stay in shape. They're trying to do as much as they can with what they can have, you know, have access to body-wise uh, and do what they need to do uh, and then you know, get ready to come back. And, and that's exactly what Kevin needs to do. He needs to rehab, you know, continue working out, stay in great shape, and hopefully he'll come out next year ready to go and ready to make up really for a season that has been, you know, a bust and really a season and a half because as great as that title run at the Wimbledon final last year was, uh, he was a statue in that final against Djokovic. He basically was a, 
he wasn't much of of uh, a finalist, and I don't say that in a mean way. I just mean he was basically unable to move in that final after having played Isner for was it twenty seven twenty five in the fifth set. I mean, that's difficult. That's that's a big ask for a guy that that tall to and having played Roger in five sets the uh, the round prior. It's a lot to ask somebody and. It's just it's been a, it's been tough sledding, like I said. Hopefully he'll be back, and hopefully he'll be uh, fresh, healthy, and ready to compete for more titles. All right, on the WTA side, we have the the French Open finalist Marketa Vondrasova. She's pulled out of the U.S. Open uh, with an apparent wrist injury, and uh, again, wrist injuries are scary. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're a tennis player, you know, your wrist is everything, and uh, if you can't, you know, if it's your not not your dominant wrist, if it's not the, the wrist that you're swinging the racket with, uh, it's possible that you could play with that. But again, it, it depends on the severity of the injury. Um, also, do you have a two-handed backhand? And, and most women have two-handed backhands, which means you need, you know, that stabilizing arm, you know, in that wrist, you know, on the backhand side to push through. And, you know, if, if it's not on the dominant hand, it can still be a problem. It just depends on the injury, and it appears like with Vondrusova, the injury itself is severe enough that she needs to shut it down and probably do, I'm guessing, something similar to what Anderson's going to do. If I had to guess, I would say she's probably going to shut it down for the season, you know, rehab, and then get ready for next year because... Um, Unless it's a relatively quick rehab for her and she's able to come back at 100% soon, as in in the next three to four weeks, I would say in a lot of ways it's not uh, it's not worth it to to come back for the last you know two or three tournaments at the back end of the year. So uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe she does come back and maybe she tries to do something at the end of the year, but. If I was a betting person, and I'm not, but if I was a betting person, I would say Vondrasova is also out for the rest of the season. All right, so let's move on to set two. Uh, this, of course, is the U.S. Open preview, and you know we'll start out with the ATP side here. Now, the storylines coming into the U.S. Open, there are many. Um, can can Nadal uh, win this title again? Uh, he's in his 30s now, as all all the big uh, big three really are. Uh, big four, if you want to count Stan Wawrinka. Uh, it's possible. Um, can Roger rebound from you know that devastating you know Wimbledon final where he held three match points and could not uh, put it away, and therefore you know Novak won. Uh, for I, th- I think the what the fifth time if I remember correctly, uh, you know which is a great victory for him, but for Roger it, it was devastating. It had to be devastating, and it didn't appear at least to me like he'd picked up a racket. And I did say this when I was doing my Cincinnati review. It, it just didn't look like he picked up a racket in in weeks, and I understand. Uh, I can't imagine what the last um, month has been like for him after losing that final. Uh, it, I'm guessing he said, I don't even want to pick up a racket for a while. And I don't blame him. I, I can't imagine what it's like to deal with that kind of, of a devastating loss. I mean, even for somebody that's won 20 Grand Slam titles, uh, to lose the final in that manner at the final that you are probably poised to win more than any other, that's got to be rough. So, uh, you know, the storyline with Roger is, you know, given the fact that he's in Novak's half of the draw, can he make another inspired run here? Can he take out Djokovic in the semis, which is probably what's going to happen. He'll probably have to face Djokovic. Uh, Djokovic could lose, as any player can lose in the early rounds. But I would say that uh, this rematch would be in the semis, and uh, we would have to see if it's possible if Roger would be able to, you know, muster up the kind of win that he had in the what the two thousand and eleven Roland Garros uh, semifinal when he took out Novak in, you know, probably one of the best matches he's ever played, to be quite honest with you. And and Novak was playing 
you know, unparalleled tennis that that summer. Uh, he basically could not be beaten. So um, that's part of it. But this is really a a bit of a wide open, uh, as it seems like every U.S. Open in recent memory has been. Uh, it's really wide open to a variety of players. Sometimes uh, it's a first-time player. Uh, on the men's side, not so much, uh, to be fair. But it does happen. Stan won a few years ago. Um, you know, Andy Murray's won the U.S. Open as well. And Juan Martín del Potro won. Uh, granted, that was uh, 10 years ago. But it, it, does, it has happened. But mostly it's been the big three. It's been Nadal, it's been Federer, and it's been uh, Novak Djokovic mostly who are winning this title. And then, of course, um, you throw in other people like, you know, the Marin Cilic victory from a, a few years ago as well. So what we have here is uh, most likely, I think, a tournament that's going to come down to one of those three aforementioned players. Really. Um, you know, I, I think it could be a crazy tournament where we get um, two people who've never won and that would be fantastic. I, I would love to see that. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I don't fully believe it's going to happen right now. And, and we'll get down to our picks and everything. But I just have a hard time believing that. But on the men's side, you know, we have up-and-comers. We've got people like Daniil Medvedev, right? I mean, we have young players like Dominic Thiem and, and others who are starting to really make some noise. And, you know, there are fluctuations in their games and... It shows, but they are starting to make inroads. Stefano Tsitsipas is another one. That's someone to think about. You know, he hasn't played very well in the last few months, but we know what he's capable of. You know, so when you look at the the draw, it it looks like that the most likely scenario is that we get to a final where it's between someone like, you know, Djokovic or Federer versus someone like Nadal. Um and there's a few other players in the bottom half of the draw who could um, also make a run. But the most likely scenario probably is that two of the three all-time greats will be facing each other in the final. Um, but if you look at this ATP side, there are dark horses. And we're going to go through a list of the players that we think could be dark horses for the title here. Um, I'm going to start out here. And my three picks for dark horses on the ATP side are as followed. I have Daniil Medvedev on this list for uh, several reasons. One, he has had the best run of form of anybody since Wimbledon. And he's been one of the most consistent players on tour all year. And that is just pure fact. I mean, go back to the beginning of the year and, and chart his progress. He has played really great tennis all year long. I mean, go go to the Australian Open. He played some really great tennis against Novak. Um, it was a four-set match um, with Medvedev winning the second set in a tie break. And, and granted, the last two sets were you know relatively easy wins. Uh, well, relatively easy you know, victories set-wise by Djokovic, six-two-six-three. But you know, still, he showed that he had the game to do it. And then he took down Novak in the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters uh, in three sets and then took Novak down uh, last week in his victory, uh, in route to his victory in the Cincinnati Masters winning the title. He took out Novak in the semis and he did so by coming back you know, from a set down to do it, which is not easy. Djokovic, like Nadal and, and like Roger, is a great front runner. If he wins that first set, it's a good chance that he's going to be winning the match, right? And, and certainly in a best of three, he often wins it in straight sets. So to do that isn't easy. And, and let's face it, Djokovic was playing very, very well in that match. Um, it wasn't like he was off and beating himself. or you know, It was just Medvedev changing his tactics, doing something different, finding success, and ultimately winning the match. So that's great. And I think that's why Medvedev needs to be on this list, at least on my list of dark horses. So second on my list is Dominic Team. Now, Dominic Team has had a bit of a weird year. I mean, it has been a good year for him 
generally. And it would be a good year for a lot of players. But on one hand, he went into Indian Wells, seemingly a long shot to, to lift up the title, and instead ended up defeating Roger Federer in the final and lifting you know, one of the most prestigious titles in the entire tour in probably one of the most favorite uh, tournaments on the tour in Indian Wells. And it proved to everybody that Dominic Team had the ability to defeat some of the best players on the tour on hard court, which is really his worst surface. And in doing so, he said, look, I can do this. I'm a threat. And I, I totally believe it. And I think last year's match against Nadal, in five, he lost in five sets at the U.S. Open, even though it was a loss. I think it gave Dominic Team the confidence that he could come into uh, the U.S. Open and to other tournaments and win. So, uh, but the problem is, as great of a victory as that was for Team, he started out a bit sluggish on the clay and eventually worked his way uh, into playing really well, of course, beating Nadal prior to uh, the to Roland Garros like he's done in the past. But, but at the end of the day, defeating Nadal outside of Roland Garros is possible, is much more possible. Beating him at Roland Garros is a different story. Again, it's possible, but if he's not injured, um, there's a good chance he's going to be the victor, especially when it comes to being in the final where he is... 12 and 0. So, well, he's now 12 and 0, having defeated Team in the final. But here's the thing Team, again, he has the capability. We've seen what he can do on a hard court. Now, he hasn't played well as of late. That's true. I'm not going to pretend like he has, but he has all the firepower in the world. Can he control that firepower on hard court? It, it remains to be seen. But he is a player who continues to improve. He's 26 years old. He's at the height of his powers right now, or he should be nearing them. Um, he has a lot more he can do. Uh, he can win Grand Slam titles. I have no doubt. And I think he can win Grand Slam titles outside of Roland Garros. Uh, but we'll have to see him do it. He has to prove that to himself. And he has to prove that to everybody else. But he is capable of doing it. Uh, so we'll see uh, what happens here but I believe that team is a dark horse. And then my third and final pick for the dark horses is Nick Curious. So uh, look, I haven't had a lot of great things to say about Nick recently. Uh, some people have not liked the fact that I've been, you know, so critical of Nick, uh, but I feel like he's deserved it. You know, but here's the thing. I don't root against Nick Curious. I don't root against him winning titles or winning grand slams or having a great career. I just want, first off, I want the best for Nick. I want Nick to be a happy person, um, whether that is in or outside of tennis. However, I do believe that he has all the talent in the world. I feel like if he could just focus that, that energy and put it in one direction and, and try to do something, he, he could win the U S open. I, I don't, uh, believe that that is outside the realm of possibility. In fact, I think if he were more focused, he could win the U.S. Open. The talent's there. The question is, can he put it all together when it matters most? And you know what? He can at times in spurts. He's made runs like he did in Washington uh, to the title. He's made um, runs to finals like he did at Cincinnati a couple of years ago and lost to uh, Grigor Dimitrov. But look, he can do it. I know he can do it. But there's just as much of a chance that he'll crash and burn early as there is of him just destroying everybody in this path and getting to the final. Either one is possible. I mean, and I do literally mean that. A 50-50 shot. I mean, take a you know a coin out of your pocket and flip it because that, that's about what it is. I mean, it's a 50-50 shot. You don't know what kind of curious you're going to get. You don't know what kind of curious you're going to get in every match that he plays. But in general, you just don't know what you're going to get. He's kind of like, you know, Fabio Fanini. You know, sometimes you know, as great of a player as Fabio is, and he is, you know, you just don't know what you're getting out of Fabio. You don't. Sometimes he goes out there and looks like he is a world beater, looks like, you know, he is focused and, and 
is ready to you know win the title or win the match. And other times, he could, he barely looks like he's even interested to be out there. So uh, they're kind of similar in that way, uh, except I think Kyrgios is just a little more combustible. Uh, but both players are combustible. But yeah, ultimately, Nick can win. I just don't know if we'll see it. Uh, but he has the capability, and he's definitely a dark horse. With that game, with the athleticism, with the serve that he has, uh, anything's possible. Um, we just have to wait and see what Nick Kyrgios we get at the tournament. All right, so I'm going to give you guys the dark horse picks for my uh, two previous uh, co-hosts, um, or could be a future occasional co-host, depending on if they have time. So first up here is Michael. Now, he only gave me two, so um, and he's off on vacation now, so he sent these before he left. So Stan Wawrinka is his number one pick here. He says he has the experience, he has the firepower, and if he's healthy, he could make a great run to the title and win it once again, which I can't disagree. I think Stan, if he is healthy, if he's feeling it, if he's back to you know being the Stanimal, uh, he's a player that can knock anybody off of that court. And I mean anybody. We've seen him knock Djokovic off the court at, at uh, the U.S. Open. He's taken out Nadal uh, before. He's taken out Roger. I mean, he really could take anybody out um, if he's feeling it and if he's sharp. But since he came back, it's been a bit of a mixed bag, if I'm being honest. Uh He's working his way, you know, to being in sharp form, being ready to go. But I don't, I don't know if he'll do it. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll never get the the stanimal, the full stanimal back again. I, I'm not entirely sure. Look, you know, stands uh, 34, I think now. It's going to get harder and harder for him, I think, to, you know, do this kind of thing. And uh, if he's not fully healthy, if his knee never gets back to the way it was before. It might be difficult for him to be able to win these big titles, but uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility. All right, Mike's second is uh, Nick Kyrgios. He too uh, has Nick down, and he said, you can question his commitment, but not his talent or his firepower or his love for the big stage. And I couldn't agree more, honestly. Um, I, I basically have said the same thing. Uh, but the love for the big stage is there. He loves the big moments. Um, if there's anything that he gets up for, it's, you know, big Masters 1000 tournaments and, you know, playing the best of the best. He gets up for playing the Djokovics, the Fedders, and the Nadals more than just about anybody else on tour. It's the only thing that I feel like gives him a reason to jump on the court and play his absolute best. You know, it's something he can strive for. He, can I beat these players? Can I can I do it? Um, otherwise, it's a, a bit iffy uh, in terms of his commitment to match to match. But it's New York. It's a huge stage for him, and it will be interesting and fun, of course, to see him. You know, perform on that stage and and see what he can do. Uh, Eric uh, has three here. He also has Nick Kyrgios. Uh, and again, it really comes down to just the firepower and uh, his ability to focus. Uh, next up is Stefano Sitsipas. And uh, the Sitsipas pick, uh, he says that Sitsipas has a big game and a complete game. Even though he's been inconsistent recently, he can put it all together and have another great run just like he did in Australia earlier this year. And I totally agree. Um Tsitsipas is capable of beating just about anybody on tour, uh, but he's been pretty inconsistent as of late. Um, he's had decent results throughout the year. It's just he's not been able to put together the kind of run of form like he had last year or like Daniil Medvedev has had, especially since Wimbledon, when it's just been the Med basically the Medvedev show for the last three or four weeks. And finally, uh, his last one is Karen Hatchinov. And Hatchinov is a great pick. Um, he's, a, he's the Russian. He's a guy that I've said many times on this podcast I, I totally missed on. I just did not see him coming. I didn't see what he's become, which is a top 10 player. 
and uh, Hatchinov has a really good game. He's he's pretty consistent from the baseline. He's got a lot of power. He's got a good serve. Uh, for a guy his size, he's athletic. You can see it. He he sprints left and right. He's fast. Uh, he has good defense for a guy his size. Uh, you know, he's young enough. He's 20, 23, uh, so he's got plenty of opportunities ahead of him. But yeah, I mean, if he's able to put together a sterling run of form, he could definitely make a run for the title. Okay, so let's make our picks for the ATP side. Um, I'm going to start out first. So for my draw picks, you know, I I had a hard time with this draw. Of course, it's it's a massive draw. Um, I always print out the PDFs and I go through and I, I pick each and every match until I get to the final. Um, I factor in, you know, try to factor in the matchups, of course, uh, strengths and weaknesses. But then I also have to factor in the possibility that there's just going to be upsets. It, it doesn't even come down to even matchups. Someone could just have an off day. Um, so when I look at the draw, um, for me at least, uh, it's it's going to be, I think, pretty conventional, though. There's going to be some upsets. But overall, I think the end result is going to be something that isn't going to be a massive surprise to anybody. So for me, I have uh, the quarterfinals are Novak Djokovic defeating Daniil Medvedev, Roger Federer defeating Kini Shikori, Stefano Tsitsipas defeating Alex Azur Aliassim, and I have Rafael Nadal defeating Francis Tiafo. And looking at those picks, there are some surprises. Uh, Medvedev being a quarterfinalist, it's a surprise, and yet it's not a surprise. It's why I have Medvedev in my dark horse picks. Uh, He's a dark horse in part because he's in the same quarter as Djokovic. If he was down at the bottom half of of the draw and maybe like the third quarter, maybe they were talking about something entirely different here, maybe. Uh, but he's up in Djokovic's you know, portion of the draw, which makes it difficult to project him as the winner. Even though I think he's a good matchup, um, he definitely has the game, and we've seen that. But ultimately, I do think that Djokovic wins that match. Uh, Federer and Nishikori, uh, that's just a matchup between you know, two players who uh, have you know, different styles. It's just that Roger is more consistent, and he has the variety which will, I think, cause Nishikori to make too many errors. And then Tsitsipas, um, just talked about him. Uh, I think he'll find his game. It's the big stage. He likes the big stage, just like Medvedev, just like uh, Kyrgios does. And because he loves the big stage, I think it'll bring out the best tennis in him. Uh, Ajar Liasim, another you know possible uh Grand Slam uh, champion, future Grand Slam champion down the road. Ton of talent. Uh, we've been talking about him for a while now. Uh, I just I think they'll both make a good run. There's going to be some upsets in their portion of the draw, and it's going to allow Tsitsipas and Aliasim to make it to the quarters with Tsitsipas winning, and then Nadal defeating TFO. Of course, Nadal took out Francis TFO in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open earlier this year. In the semifinals, I have Nadal defeating Tsitsipas, similar to the way that he defeated Tsitsipas in Australia. I think it's going to be a better match. I think that uh, Tsitsipas will be ready, much more ready for what Nadal has to offer. But I do think ultimately Nadal takes down Tsitsipas in a tough four-setter. And then I have Djokovic defeating Roger Federer. Uh, Part of this is because uh, Djokovic is really great on hard courts, just like Roger is. But, you know, Roger is uh, older. You know, he's 38 years old now. And on top of that, I believe that there's going to be a Wimbledon hangover here for Roger. Um, I think it's just going to be a tough match for him uh, emotionally. I think he's going to be looking across the net at somebody that he knows he should have beat. And I think it's going to affect him. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a terrible match. I just think that Roger is going to miss out on some opportunities early on and it's ultimately going to be a, a Djokovic win in four sets. And then it's going to be a final between Nadal and Djokovic. And in this final, I have Novak Djokovic defeating Rafael Nadal 6-7, 7-5, 6-4, 6-4 for the 
uh, third Grand Slam title for Djokovic this year. And moving on to Michael, uh, he sent his in and his picks are quarterfinal between Novak Djokovic and Daniil Medvedev uh, with Djokovic winning, uh, Federer defeating Kini Shikori. Um, he then has Dominic Team defeating Nick Kyrgios and Nadal defeating Karen Hatchinov. In the semis, he has Federer defeating Djokovic, which I think is uh, surprising, I guess. Um, I know uh, Michael's a big uh, Roger fan. Uh, and he has Nadal defeating Dominic Team uh, to make the final. So we both have um, we both have Nadal in the final. It's just that the other finalist is the difference here. And he has Roger defeating Rafael Nadal, 6-4, 3-6, for Roger's first trophy in Flushing Meadows in over a decade. And moving on to Eric, um, being my brother, <laughs> he did not put his quarterfinals in some, he's at work, he was at work today and he had to be kind of quick about it. So um, I'm not going to hoard it against him, but he does have Nadal defeating Roger in four sets in the final. So, um, so yeah, I mean, look, my brother, he's, he's working today. There's a lot, he's really busy. But he did want to put some input into the notes, and uh, he just was short on time. He messaged me and told me that uh, he didn't have a lot of time to be able to make his picks, so he had he had to take what little time he had, and you know you know look at the draw, make his picks, and then send them to me. So uh, again, I won't hold it against him. So there you have it. Uh, Eric has Nadal defeating Federer in four sets. Michael has. Federer defeating Nadal in four sets, and I have Djokovic defeating Nadal in four sets. So it's the, all of our picks are four setters. It's just that we have different uh, different outcomes, but some of the same players. All right, let's move on to the WTA side. Now, on the WTA side, uh, there are uh, a lot of players who can win this title. The WTA side is way more wide open, way more wide open than the men's side. There are dark horses who are dark horses, but easily could make a run to the final. Uh, there's just so many players who have the capability of making it to that final, you know, weekend at Flushing Meadows. And, you know, picking who was going to win this tournament and picking the dark horses it was difficult. It wasn't easy. Trust me. I, I struggled with making my picks here. So for the dark horse picks, I have Bianca Andreescu is the number one dark horse pick here. And uh, look, uh, some people like her. Some people don't. Um, she's very confident in herself. And she doesn't seem like she makes any apologies for it, which is fine. But here's something that I think is indisputable. Bianca Andreescu wins tournaments. At least it's the way it's been in 2019. If you look at the injuries that she's had this year, it's been tough. But if you put them aside for a second, when she enters a tournament, she wins. Now, I'm not saying that she's entered, she's won every tournament that she's entered this year. I'm just saying that basically she enters a tournament and she wins. And she's done that a couple of times this year. She went and she won one Indian Wells, you know, in a final over Angelique Kerber, who up to that point was playing very well. And she took out a ton of players to get there. You know, she took out Garbine Muguruza, um, losing only one game. She took out Alina Svitolina in, in three sets, um, took out Dominika Sibolkova. Uh, you know, she took out a, a good run of players in order to actually make it to the final. And then she defeated Kerber, who is one of the most consistent players on tour from a ball striking standpoint. So she won that and she was all of 18 years old. 18, you know, and she won one of the biggest titles you can win on tour outside of the Grand Slams. And then she got injured. She had a shoulder issue, and she didn't uh, play until after Wimbledon. She goes into the Toronto Masters, and again, she wins. So what's that tell me? It tells me that Bianca Andreescu wants to win. Bianca 
has dreams, Bianca has goals. And if she wants to win a tournament, she's going to do everything in her power to win that tournament. There's a there's a fight and there's a fire and there's a grit to her as a player that I I love. And uh, she doesn't make any apologies for wanting to win these titles. Um she's a a great young player and I love the way she plays. There's a fearlessness about her game and it it's refreshing and I love it. And the fact is even though it, on the outside, it doesn't appear like she would have a chance here. Trust me, if she can get going, it's definitely a possibility. So uh, number two I have is uh, Carolina Pliskova. Now, Pliskova has made the final before, and she's you know got a big serve and, and a big game and big forehand. But despite all that talent, the fact is she just fails to get to the final. And it's not just here, it's, it's other places. Um, she, she really should have made the final a lot of ways in Australia. Um, she has been knocking on the door for a few years now. She faced uh, Serena in the final a few years ago and lost in three sets. It's just the fact that it seems like she gets so close all the time and she just comes up short. She just, she'll lose in the quarterfinals or she'll lose in the semis of a grand slam. And it seems to be where her ride ends. Now she could do this. She could rip through the draw and get to the final. I have no doubt. She has the ability. She's done it before, but right now it's hard to envision her doing it because it always seems like she just misses out on the final by just, I don't know, playing tight maybe, or just simply being outplayed in the, in the semis or the quarters of a grand slam. But uh, she's definitely got the talent. She just hasn't really backed it up with the results. And last on my list is Joanna Conta. So Conta has been playing pretty well this year. Um, she seemed like she was going to be a world beater, I believe, in 2017 when I, I think... I think she won Miami, if I'm not mistaken, Miami Masters. She had a great run at Wimbledon, um, losing, I believe, to Venus Williams um, in the semis. It just, but then she disappeared in in 2018. She seemed to be buckling under the pressure. She didn't play well all year, but this year she's actually been playing well. And she seems to be getting back to being the player that we saw from a couple of years ago. Uh, we see the power. We see the precision from her. Uh, it all seems to be coming together once again. And so you know, she, she's played pretty well overall in, in the uh, hard courts. And so she could conceivably make a run to a final and possibly a title here. Now, um, Eric has three players, and he wrote, Caroline Wozniacki. Caroline won Australia last year. Uh, Wozniacki's made the final of the U.S. Open before. Uh, she's certainly capable, but uh, it's all going to come down to her draw, and it's going to come down to her uh, just playing well and playing consistently well every match. She can't have an off match. Uh, and the fact is, Caroline's getting older. I think the the injuries are starting to affect her more. We know she's dealt with some injury and health issues in recent years. So uh, it's certainly possible, but uh, I'm not entirely sure if that'll happen. But Eric feels that uh, she certainly is a dark horse. Now, he also has Madison Keys. Um, Madison was in the final uh, before she was in the final in 2017 and uh, lost to Sloane Stevens. And she looked great. She looked like a world beater there. And then she kind of disappeared last year and uh, she's back this year. And she just won Cincinnati, uh, playing some of the best tennis I've ever seen her play. So uh, he has Madison down. And I think it's just because she can be that world beater, but she can also crash out early. Um, she's lost early before in recent years to players she probably shouldn't have lost to. So that's number two on his list. And then he has Sloane Stevens and it's understandable. Sloane is maybe the ultimate dark horse tennis player on the women's side. There's maybe no player that I've seen in recent years who can be as ice cold or as red hot as Sloane Stevens is. 
Um, she can come into a tournament just like she did in 2017. She wasn't playing well. She came into the U.S. Open, and then all of a sudden it was like she flipped a switch, and that was that. And and Sloan just rolled her way to the final and you know to a victory. But that Sloan is it's like it's like Nick. It's like Nick Kyrgios. It's like you flip a coin because you really don't know what kind of of Sloan Stevens you're going to get. Uh, tournament to tournament and indeed match to match because um, for someone that has as many athletic gifts as Sloane Stevens has, as much talent, as much power, as much everything that she possesses, uh, sometimes it sure doesn't seem like she possesses those qualities uh, the way she plays sometimes. Um, so, But she is, of course, uh, a dark horse pick, uh, maybe like I said, the ultimate dark horse pick. Now, if we move on to Michael, he has uh, Bianca Andreescu, and he said that her firepower and her tenacity to beat is the best. Uh, he has Sophia Kennan, and he said that her level has been very high this summer, and in New York, you never know, which is definitely true. And then he also has Angelique Kerber. He said her form has not been great, but she is great on hard, court, hard courts. It's definitely true. Uh, you know, Kerber... Uh, can turn it on. She can find that rich vein of form. She's done it before. She did it at Wimbledon last year, uh, beating Serena uh, in the finals. So, you know, it just takes it just takes a couple of matches in a tournament to get you rolling, and then you you could be off to the races at that point. So, um, it's definitely true. So, let's move on to our picks for the women's side, and my picks are. Uh, Victoria Azarenka defeating Belinda Bencic. I have Simona Halep defeating Svetlana Kuznetsova. I have Madison Keys defeating Joanna Conta. And I have Ashley Barty defeating Serena Williams. So why did I make these picks? Well, first up, Azarenka is a player who has been working her way back for some time now. And I don't think she's been that far away. Uh, she's she's been making progress. She's been slowly but surely getting her form back. Um, she had a child, and then she dealt with a lot of off the court um, custody issues, and, and that took you know a lot of time out of her uh, you know schedule. And you know she wasn't coming back until that got all taken care of. It finally did get taken care of, and so she's been back on tour for a little while now. So I think Azarenka, though, this is one of the places where she has probably the biggest regret. She had a chance to win against Serena Williams years ago, and she didn't, she didn't take it. And uh, I think she really wants to make another great run here. And I think it's going to happen. I think Azarenka, uh, I think she, she ends up taking out Arena Sabalenka early, and uh, I think... Uh, Naomi Osaka ends up uh, losing early as well. And that just opens up the draw for her. It opens up the draw in the top portion, and it allows Victoria Azarenka to kind of find the form that she needs, and uh, she takes out Belinda Bencic in the quarters. Uh, Halep over Kuznetsova, um, you know, I was initially a little worried, but it appears like Halep's uh, foot issue that she's been dealing with uh, at least it seems like it's fine. Now that could just be gamesmanship. I, you know, there could be a problem there, a lingering problem. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe it here. I'm gonna believe that Halep is fine, and that um, because she's fine physically, it's gonna allow her to make a deep run here at the U.S. Open. I think Halep does defeat uh, a resurgent Svetlana Kuznetsova, who had a great run in Cincinnati. But Halep stops that run here at the U.S. Open. And then I have Keys defeating Joanna Conta. I, I said that Conta was a dark horse, and I, and I think that that is true. I think Conta is able to navigate her way through the draw, uh, take out some players, some good players, uh, but then she gets uh, to Madison Keys. And I think Madison Keys just has too much firepower for here for her because I think if, if Keys plays the way she played in Cincinnati, especially the last few rounds, it's going to be difficult for people to beat her. And then I have Ashley Barty defeating Serena Williams. And this really comes down to the fact that I think, you know, Barty has been a little so-so since her win in Birmingham leading up to Wimbledon. Uh, it appears like she was going to be a player to beat at Wimbledon. She played a couple, I think, a couple of good matches, and then she lost. Um, and then her run-up to the U.S. Open, it, honestly, it hasn't been great. It's been solid, if not, un, if not 
unspectacular, right? I mean, she's been she's been okay. She made a semifinal uh, run, I believe, in Cincinnati, but I think she lost early in in Toronto. So, uh, but she lost kind of a little tamely, to be honest with you. She looked like she was uncomfortable in that semifinal match uh, in Cincinnati. So, but I think she has the kind of game that can cause Serena fits. Um, she's pretty consistent. She's got a lot of firepower on her shots, but she also has a lot of variety. And that variety can, you know, at times it can be a bit of uh, anathema to Serena um, because if Serena gets a lot of pace, she is much more comfortable with that than somebody who has a lot of variety to their games. It, that can be frustrating for someone like Serena. It can throw her off. And that's exactly the kind of uh, matchup that Ashley Barty likes. She likes to get people on their back foot, not because she's destroying them with forehands and backhands with a lot of power, but what she can do, uh, but causing people to be uncomfortable because they're getting a lot of different spins and slices to go along with those forehands and those backhands and being comfortable with the net. So this to me is uh, a matchup that I think favors Barty or at least could favor Barty. You know, if Serena's playing great and she's just really cruising along, well, then maybe this isn't uh, a matchup that Barty will win. But I, I do think that if, unless Serena is playing pristine tennis, I do believe that Barty could give her uh, a matchup that she doesn't like, and, and it could result to a, a result in a Williams loss. Uh, and then, uh, moving on to the semis, I have Simona Halep defeating Victoria Azarenka. I think this was is where Azarenka's you know run ends. Uh, I think that Halep has just got too much consistency, uh, just too much firepower of her own, his her forehand and her backhand. I mean, look, we've seen how it play. We know what she can do. Someone who's five foot six and but is able to hit that hard. Um, she's in, in, in exceptional shape. This could be a really great uh, run for Halep, and I think it is. I think that she gets through Azarenka. It's a bit spotty at times because I think Azarenka's got that grit and determination and they got that game too, but I think in the end, Halep is just a little too much for Azarenka in the third set. And then I have uh, Keys, Madison Keys defeating Ashley Barty. And again, uh, this really comes down to a matchup. Now, while I believe that Barty does have all that variety and she does herself have firepower if keys is not beating herself and yes i know it's a big if because she frustrates me like few players do on the on the women's side because man with all that firepower she has a hard time at times controlling all of that you know all the missiles that she has right i mean she she can hit 95 mile per hour winners but sometimes she fails to understand you can just hit 85 and be fine. You don't have to hit the hardest shot, you know, of your life on on every forehand or backhand. Uh, and she's starting to do that. She's starting to show more consistency. And I think that's the key to her uh, lifting the trophy, to be honest. But I do think she gets past Barty. I think her firepower is just too much. I think she's consistent enough. Uh, in order to kind of scrape out a, a victory in three sets over Barty. And that leads to a matchup of Simona Halep and Madison Keys. And this, I have Madison defeating Simona Halep, 6-3, 6-7, for a victory. Madison just defeated Halep in Cincinnati. Um, I know that there were some injury issues there for Halep, but at the same time, I do think that Keys has the ability, has the capability of defeating uh, Simona Halep in the final here. And I think it really comes down to the fact that uh, Keyes is starting to take a little of the steam off of her shots, realizing that you can put people in an uncomfortable position without having to hit an all-out winner in order to do it. And I, I believe she's started to look at her game and accept the fact that she's trying to do too much at times and that she has so much power that that she fails to control it, and that's when things happen. Bad things happen. And on top of that, I think her footwork is is much better than it's been in the past. She's really getting around balls. She's she's giving herself the the correct amount of space. She's taking the extra 
couple of steps that uh, she might not otherwise take in order to put herself into a good place to hit that next shot. And I think that that is going to be the difference here. It's going to be the difference in the tournament, and I think it's going to be the difference in the final. I think she's going to have just enough, just enough firepower in order to get across the finish line and defeat Simona Halep to lift her first Grand Slam trophy and fulfill, I think, the promise that everyone saw years ago. All right, so Michael has his own picks here, and he said that in the quarterfinals, uh, Naomi Osaka is going to defeat uh, Victoria Azarenka. So we both uh, both had Azarenka making a deep run, which is which is cool. Uh, we had he has Halep defeating uh, Kvitova, uh, Petra Kvitova, and then she has Madison Keys defeating Carolina Pliskova. And Serena Williams defeating Ashley Barty. So, uh, yeah, so some of our, our matchups were the same, but the outcome is different. Uh, semifinals, uh, he has Simona Halep defeating Naomi Osaka and Madison Keys defeating Serena Williams with a final matchup of uh, Simona Halep and Madison Keys. So, we, oddly enough, you know, we had the same matchup. But the difference is that in his pick, he has um, Simona Halep defeating Madison Keys 6 3. Five seven six two for Halep's uh, second no third no second sorry uh, <laughs> thinking like oh yeah yeah Simone Halep did lift the Roland Garros trophy it was just it was last year uh, so this would be her second Grand Slam trophy of the year um, which would be a really great way of like capping off her per year in a lot of ways. Now there's more tournaments to play post uh, U.S. Open, but it would be a great way to cap off her season. Um, so that's Michael's pick. So uh, my or Eric's pick is simply, <laughs> um, again, he was rushed for time, so I'm not going to hold it against him, but Simona Halep defeating Serena Williams to win uh, her first U.S. Open trophy. And, you know, it's certainly possible. Um, you know, Serena Williams is, uh, well, she's got a lot on her plate. And that's our picks. Uh so Eric has Halep and well, Eric and Michael have Halep winning. I have Madison Keys winning. So those are the, our picks for the women's side. Now I want to take a second. I want to talk about Serena Williams and I want to expand on some stuff that I was talking about uh, weeks ago. So post Wimbledon final, when I was doing my wrap up, you know, I was talking about the matchup and, and everything. Uh, I was talking about how Serena Williams her biggest enemy, the biggest problem is the fact that she is currently her own worst enemy. Now, um, I'm not trying to drag up bad memories or anything, but the US Open last year was was obviously one that is infamous, infamous for a number of reasons. But, you know, if you really look at the Grand Slam finals that Serena has played in since she made her return, uh, if you look at Wimbledon from last year, if you look at the US Open, if you look at Wimbledon this year, these are all Grand Slams that she had the capability of winning. Now, some of these losses could be attributed to the fact that maybe she just wasn't in enough, like, uh, good shape. Um, she just wasn't in the kind of shape she needed to be in. But I think the bigger thing here isn't the kind of shape that she's in, although that, of course, is an important factor. factor. It is mentally where she's at. And the fact is, Serena knows her age. Serena knows that there is a finite amount of time left for her playing tennis. And it's not just about how old she is. I think it's about how much longer she wants to play. We have to remember that Serena has been playing this game now for, what, like over 20 years uh, as a professional. As a professional, she's been playing for at least two decades. And I'm not here trying to talk about how old Serena is. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is it's not the years that she's been playing. It's the mileage. It's like that famous quote from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not the years, it's the miles. And I think that's really what we have to think about here when it comes to Serena. I mean, she's been through a lot on the tennis court over the years and off the tennis court. And she's dealt with a lot of like, like health issues, um, times where she could have died. I mean, she just had a child recently and, and I know she doesn't want to be doing this 
you know, for another four or five years, she wants to spend that time just with her child, you know, all the time, you know, but she also has goals that she wants to achieve. And, and so I've, I've thought for a while that um, she's only got a couple of more years left. She has, I honestly think that she's got this year and possibly next year, and that might be it for Serena. Uh, I don't see Serena getting to 40 and beyond. I don't. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I believe next year will be her last year, and I think she'll achieve what she can achieve. But what this really comes down to, and what the point I'm trying to make is that Serena's biggest obstacle is herself right now. She has put so much pressure on herself to get back into playing shape, right? To win Grand Slam tournaments, to, to break this record, to be the all-time greatest female champion. You know, nobody will ever, probably ever pass her, you know, after this. She doesn't want to be the greatest without having that number. She wants to get to 24 or 25 Grand Slams. Uh, and to do that, she needs to win these these titles. And the fact is, she's getting to the final and there's so much pressure and she's so... I want to say she's so tight sometimes when she's out there. She knows what she's on the cusp of achieving and it's it's causing her to kind of mentally freak out when she's out there. I mean, okay, fine. She came back last year in the 2018 final. It was her first final you know, since she had her child and since she won the Australian Open in 2017. And and Kerber just went out there and and beat her. Uh, was more consistent. Serena made a lot of mistakes, and then the U.S. Open last year. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, we know that she definitely played a much better match, but Osaka was clearly, I think, the better player there. But there was also a possibility of it going on to three sets. Um, and then if you look at Wimbledon this year, I mean, Halep was was flawless. It was it was one of the best performances I've ever seen. Uh, and Serena didn't play horribly. It's just that Simona Halep had no flaws out there. I mean, she barely made an unforced error in the entire match. Um, and Serena started to go for more. She started to get frustrated because uh, Halep was getting everything. But you know, at the end of the day, I think the problem here, again, is it's not just the player across the net. It's also in Serena's mind. I mean, it's just there's so much pressure on her to win these titles. She knows her her she knows that her opportunities are slipping by. And every time one slips by, it adds just a little more pressure on the next opportunity. And she knows that, that you know, she's getting older and, you know, these players are good, good. And they could knock her out before she even gets to the final. So what I'm saying is um, with Serena, she has a finite amount of chances left. But she needs to take some of that pressure off of herself when she gets to the final, as hard as that is. Because right now, in a lot of ways, her biggest obstacle to lifting another trophy is Serena Williams. It's not the player, at least in part, it's not the player across the net. It's Serena herself. And if she doesn't start taking some of that pressure off of herself when she goes into finals, it's going to be her undoing each and every time, unless the player across the net is also dealing with the same issues and, and really defeating themselves. And, and then maybe it's more of an even playing field. But right now, every time she faces somebody, they're game and they're ready to take her down and they're not uh, blinking. So um, that's my preview. Those, that's what I wanted to talk about. And that's how I guess how I wanted to wrap this up was just by talking a little bit about Serena, about the pressure she's under and the pressure she puts on herself. And that's really where at least some of the issues are coming from. And her inability, I think, lately to have, you know, win one of these big Grand Slam titles. So, but we'll see what happens. You know, it's going to be a great, uh, a great tournament. I'm really excited. I can't wait uh, to see what happens in this first week. And of course, I will be back in a week's time with an update and my thoughts on the first week's action and what to look forward to into week two. So anyway, thanks everyone for listening. And if you'd like to send in feedback, you can do so by sending it to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at tennisaddictpod. Uh, you can you know let me know what you think, uh, send your picks to me there, send any feedback that you'd like 
me to talk about in the next episode and just share your opinion and everything that happens this week at the U.S. Open. Let me know what your thoughts are, and uh, I'd love to engage in some really great conversation on Twitter about uh, the U.S. Open and the players and all the outcomes as each day moves along and as we get the results. So that'll be fantastic. I'll be on there tw- uh, twittering away, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be exciting. So anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Tennis Out Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict Podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Freaking Geeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to tennisaddictpodcast at gmail.com. 